today's episode, we catch up with a woman on a mission. She's a passionate community builder and connector with a pioneering spirit that inspires others to take action. She's a sought after public speaker who not only talks the talk, but walks the walk. She's a lawyer, a nonprofit executive, and is also the founder and CEO of Move the Dial, an amazing organization that helps advance the participation and leadership of women in the technology industry. We are excited to have Jody Kovitz on the show with us today. Keep listening to see what she believes the impact of COVID has and will continue to have on our forward progress. Without further ado, here's your host, co-founder and president of Women Leadership Nation, Jennifer Latticer. Thank you so much, Jody, for agreeing to be on this podcast. It's amazing to have you. My pleasure. Happy to be here. I wonder what what started this drive or this passion or for you to to take such an initiative to launch um, Move the Dial. Yeah, I mean, I think I was quite inspired by you know just seeing some awesome leaders in the ecosystem that happened to be women. Like that was a really powerful experience for me. I started my career in tech and then came back to tech after sort of many years being in the legal profession. Right. And when I came back, I just noticed that there was such a massive gap. And then that massive gap contrasted to meeting these awesome leaders that happened to be women deeply inspired me. And so that's where uh, I decided to go, you know, and, and use the opportunity that I had to create, to create the movement. That's amazing. You know, I, I wonder if you found um, it sometimes when you're in a situation, and I think it was amazing that you're in tech, did you find that when you took the time to step away from it, and I know you've, you've published uh, another, some amazing studies, did, when you actually look at the numbers, did you find it even more shocking? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the numbers affirmed what my hunch was, Mm-hmm. But, you know, data speaks for itself, for sure. Yeah. Do you find that there's enough support, maybe beginning first, in terms of um, inspiring women to get into STEM? Well, I think we have a long way to go. And I also think we've made a tremendous amount of progress over the last, you know, number of years. So we, I say as a collective community, not just like we, Jody. Right. Um, you know, I think girls are starting to see many more role models through, you know, the voices of girls and women being amplified and particularly in this moment in time, the voices of black leaders um, being at the forefront, which is absolutely, you know, critical and imperative. And it's really time for that to be happening. Mm-hmm. I have a, a friend, Arlen Hamilton, and she said, it's about damn time that we start sort of showcasing and highlighting and believing in and funding black uh, and typically marginalized founders and leaders. And so, you know, I think that we need to do more and we can't stop on our laurels because there has to be a continuous effort in order to actually move the dial and change the outcome so that we see young people of all backgrounds, lived experiences and, and you know, identities going into STEM, staying in STEM mm-hmm. and contributing to building the solutions that serve our population. So it's absolutely critical and it can't stop. Um, but I, I definitely do think we've made a lot of progress over the last couple of years. 
I really love something that you said. You said, um, you know, if we're entering our way forward, we're at a disadvantage. We have to take leaps. I love that. Um, so, you know, what, what do you define as a leap? What suggestions or recommendations do you have for them? Well, I think they really need to go, you know, people, companies are built on the value set of the leaders at the company before we can chart a value set of a company or or create a culture, it really stems from what is the attitude, belief system, and set of North Star values of the leaders. And so for me, it's been about, and I've been, you know, sort of saying this for years, but feel it even more in my bones in this moment, given what's happening in the world after George Floyd's senseless murder, is you have to really believe in your bones that having an inclusive working environment that reflects your entire population in your workforce at all levels, design tables, leadership tables, governance tables, that that really matters Mm -hmm. in order to create the best product and to reflect the needs of the entire population. So you have to believe that. And then you have to go all in and build it with intentionality, which means money, time, energy, listening, effort, inclusion journey, investing again, you know, a step forward, a step backward, Um, but really treating diversity, inclusion, and belonging, creating a culture of belonging, because really, what does it matter if you have a team that reflects different lived experiences if you don't give a shit what those people think? Yeah, absolutely. Don't make space to listen. So yeah. if you if you invest in your in your diversity, inclusion, and belonging, you know, strategy as a top strategic business priority, not like a little side hustle or a, you just have to do it when we're in a moment of recognizing how much every single black life actually matters. Like you had to do it ten years ago, not just as a response. And if you're waking up to this being a new set of values because you've had a, a moment where in your inclusion journey where you recognize it, then fine then get with the program. It's never too late. And, but go all in and take it seriously. And that's sort of my best absolute advice. And taking it seriously doesn't mean assigning it to some people as a side hustle without any budget. I love that you said that because we, we see it all the time and we believe hard, you know, that a lot of companies are just taking this band-aid approach. They'll set up a diversity inclusion committee. They'll have the random speakers and then feel like they're, they should win some kind of award for it. And Really, it has to be, like you say, in your bones. It needs to be, first of all, believed at the very top. Like it has, and people can tell if it's genuine or not. So, in my research, I noticed that one inspiring moment for you was when you participated in a trip to Israel. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about that? I was struck in Israel, frankly, just by the shared lived desire to contribute to solving big problems and the hustle to win. And I found it, you know, that there was, uh, when, we, when I was there, before we started the work with Move the Dial, that the, we're further along in terms of being celebrated for doing big things. So I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying that there are not the similar, you know, bias and challenges and gap from a gender perspective in the technology ecosystem in the state of Israel. I can't in any way hypothesize around that from my own general generalizations. It was just my own perception, having met some awesome women founders who were confident and supported and doing big things that inspired me to sort of bring that ethos back. Women that are looking to grow their career in tech, what advice do you have for them to how they can move forward and really 
what barriers do you think that they're having to overcome still? Those, yeah, that's a big question. Um, you know, I think my advice for any founder, regardless of their lived experience, background, or identifying features, is, you know, it all starts with belief in yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is where we start. When we, you know, add the layers of intersecting identity that each individual person faces, and I'm, I'm really struck by, I was on a phone call last night with um, an incredible group of human beings really talking about race in a courageous way and hearing actually the story of an individual who was sharing that it's very hard for him to say to his, his children, yeah, just go believe in your dream because the, the fact of the color of their skin interfering with that simple, just believe in yourself. Cause then you're going to have to work extra hard. So that, that is influencing how I'm answering your question because normally I would say, believe in yourself, you know, go build your dream and go get it. Yeah. And I do believe in that. And I do believe that, you know, we all have to start with our own agency, but I am currently, you know, feeling deeply introspective and highly um, sensitive to the fact that because of the color of my skin and other privileges that I've experienced in my life, you know, it is easier. It has been easier for me to have a dream and go get it than it would be for most. But I do believe, you know, it starts with having a vision and a bold dream and something that you're passionate about. And I don't think you can fake that passion. I don't think you can say, oh, I see a market opportunity. So I'm going to just get passionate about making money or solving that problem. I think you have to actually marry the opportunity you see to a deeply held passion. And, and, and that passion has to drive what it is that you're seeking to achieve. And then once you have the passion married with how you, you know, you have to marry those two things and then you have to get people, you know, you have to be willing to ask for help. And the, the community at large, you know, if we want to be seeing more women be successful in the industry and all women and all people of different lived experiences, we have to go out of our way. And that's the name of my book, which is available on Amazon uh, or on our website at movethedial.com, which is really fundamentally the basic principle of what I built the movement. We, as a community, sponsors and partners and team built a movement on is this premise of generosity of spirit. You have to... You have to go out of your way. It's not, we're still living in a world where we have to create opportunities actively. We have to open doors. We have to champion people. We have to walk through them. We have to create spaces that are safe and welcoming to all different kinds of people. Um, and, and that is a very active activity. So, you know, women have to have uh, agency with their dreams, but at the same time, you know, it's not going to get you to uh, to a buying customer or a round of capital in in the world that we live in, which is why we need organizations like yours and my the one I founded and all the you know hundreds of community organizations that are working together right now. You know, absolutely. I actually yeah. started reading your book. I, it, it's amazing, and I enjoyed it so much. I was reading it on my computer and I was enjoying it so much and, and wanting to take so many notes that I actually just ordered it yesterday. (laughs) Oh, great. I I recommend it to anybody um, to read because I feel like you need to educate yourself about 
um, and explore ideas and solutions. And what I really admire about what you're doing and uh, your book and everything is that I've spent the past four years researching and a lot of research out there and information out there is all about the problem. And we need to start shifting that. Yes, we know we have a problem and looking at what is the solution? What do we do now? And I think that, you know, you really touch on that really nicely. And I, I really like that. Do you feel like COVID potentially has the risk of setting us back? COVID has had a, a massively inequitable impact on the most marginalized people in society. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that all women are equally marginalized. You know, certain women, of course, who have the, the privilege of uh, having hired help and, you know, uh, other forms of assistance and privilege and like food, <laughs> housing, yeah. you know, they're, they're, it's all relative, right? So I think there are groups of society that are deeply impacted and, and highly, you know, this will have very severe consequences for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the gender lens, I definitely see, you know, based on the research that I've read um, thus far that started to come out of the United Nations and otherwise, that that there is a disproportionate impact on women who typically do the caregiving, even when typically if there's if there's two partners in the home, that there is one partner who bears the most of the load. And um, even if the perception of the other partner is that they're doing a lot. And so I think it, it's tremendously difficult and I can, you know, I can certainly speak for myself. Like I was a very busy CEO working 12 to 18 hour days, doing a ton of travel and running a team and a large growing organization and have an 11 year old daughter as a single mom. And, you know, outside of the fact that I did pause the operations of my organization, given that it was an events-based revenue model and I had a very high operating cost to have the kind of team that I needed to execute at the level that was important to me, you know, when my daughter is here in my home, like I I am a mom and I have to be because she needs me and she needs a lot of support because the public school system is doing their best, but she's not a learner from email. So she needs a lot of support, a lot of mental health management, a lot of activities, a lot of, I'm doing all of the cooking and cleaning and housekeeping and I am an extremely privileged human being and find it impossible to work when I'm at home with my daughter. So when she's not here, I do all my working and I have that space to do it. But I can only imagine with how hard it is for me with the level of resource that I have in my life, how difficult it must be for so many people that don't have um, you know, the space to catch up on work when the people aren't there don't have roof over their head safely, don't have money for food, or, you know, are deeply in panic about where money will come from for food. And, you know, all of those things and or are essential healthcare workers with no childcare available. Like I just, or essential workers of any kind working in grocery stores and Ubers and Lyfts and, you know, getting us, getting us around on the TTC. Like it's, it's uh, very challenging. I could go on for hours about that topic. Yeah. And, you know, I, it, it bothers me too. And, you know, it almost, uh, for me, it kind of lights even more of a fire for me to be uh, like really us putting pressure on companies to better support their employees and, and to make sure that they don't, uh, that they do everything possible to continue to support their women leaders and, and those growing within the organization. And also for those that uh, do have means to to step up and and really help 
society because um, this is where when it gets tough, it shows, you know, that's when you get to see a person's character. Yes, and exactly. So this is, I see it as a, an opportunity for those to, to share as well. My final question is really, what really inspires you then? What, what drives you to want to, to do what you're doing? What drives me is just to have a big impact on the world, you know, just to really have an impact and do something that's close to my heart and to change the future for my daughter. That's really, that's amazing. you know, the work that I've been trying to do. Yeah. So that's, that's it. I really want my daughter to live in a world where it's a different, different way of living, you know? Well, I think um, based on everything I've seen, you've, you're an incredible role model for her and for, for many other people. So thank you so much. I thank really you. My pleasure and wishing you lots of luck with the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe.